0: Coming up this hour, we're joined by the founder of Inc. 180, Chris Baker. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but he is on his 14th vacation of the year, but he uh, tells us he'll be coming back, fingers crossed. A couple of quick things before we get rolling. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's not only where we post our articles. You can send us messages. You can also find us at Instagram and Twitter, at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is you listen to your podcast. If you wouldn't mind, honestly, subscribing, rating, and reviewing, all of that helps us out a whole ton, and we're super grateful for all of you who have done that already. And uh, we say it every time, but man, oh man, am I absolutely thrilled to have on the show for the very first time, the founder of Inc. 180, Chris Baker. Welcome to the show, sir.
1: Thanks so much, Ian. I appreciate you having me.
0: Hey, it's our pleasure, man. I, I was telling you off air that uh, I was just rereading your story on your website, which, by the way, uh, go to inc 180com right now while you're listening, wherever you're at. But I, I was just so moved again. Now, I've known about your story for a while, but w- would you just take a few minutes and just tell people a bit of your story?
1: Sure. Yeah, It's uh, it's been a ride. I'm 49 years old, married for 26 years and have three kids. But man, a lot of things have happened in between all that. Um, mm-hmm. My wife, my wife, and I grew up in Los Angeles, and, and uh, you know a lot of people out here look at me like I'm crazy when I tell them I moved to Illinois from California. But we grew up in South Central Los Angeles, so not exactly mm. the most glamorous part of the City of Lights. But <laughs> um, <laughs> it was uh, it was a crazy time, you know. I, I was never involved in gang activity as a kid, but I lived in Carson, California, and and most of my friends were Bloods, and mm. It was a crazy thing because they they knew I wasn't about that life and I wasn't someone that they looked at and said, yeah, we need this guy in our gang. Mm.
0: Um,
1: but I was an artist and, you know, I, I started off doing tattoos on my mom's front porch at 15 years old with her sewing kit to tattoo wow. these guys. And wow. really, that's how me, my mom and my little sister stayed alive growing up in South Central LA, wow. you know. During that time, it was it was crazy. I saw a lot of things that I just don't think people are meant to see. I lost seventeen of my friends growing up to gang violence, and you know, dozens more to prison. I have I have friends that are in prison on three strikes for nonviolent offenses that'll never get out unless things mm-hmm. change in California. Right. Um, but you know, seeing seventeen of my friends murdered on the streets was you know enough to give me just a. a crazy situation with PTSD and mental health mm. uh, that I've been fighting ever since. Uh, but, you know, the reason I, I moved, made the decision to move my, my family here to the Chicago suburbs was that my wife is from Chicago originally, We, although we met in L.A. in high school. Mm. Uh, and it, it was wild to sit back and think about it because when we made the decision. It was the night after my, my best friend, Dante was shot and murdered in a drive by shooting. And I was wow. three feet away from him. No kidding. And, uh, the, you know, it was eleven forty seven PM two days after he had gotten out of jail, spent the day telling us how he had given his life to Christ and got baptized when he was locked up and, you know, got his GED when he was locked up and he wanted to move away and start over and start fresh. And, and how God was giving him a second chance. Now, this is way before I had faith in my life. That was just 10 years ago. I mean, we'll talk wow. about that in a bit. But, you know, we all kind of laughed it off. And th- this guy was a, a very ruthless gang member who did a lot of things. And um, we all kind of laughed it off when he told us that he found God and God was this whole new guiding force in his life. And, you know, that night he was shot and killed three feet away from me and bled to death as we wow. were holding them. And you know, I got home about 3.30 in the morning after the police and coroner and everybody had left. And I called my wife to tell her I was coming home to kind of prepare her for what she was about to see. Cause I was, I mean, I was wearing khaki, sh- khaki shorts and a white t-shirt and some black chucks, but I was red from head to toe. And Jeez. when we were talking about moving, we wanted our kids to have a, a better opportunity. And we had been back to the Chicagoland area numerous times for family events and weddings and stuff like that. Yeah. And we're like, man, you know, Chicago's got all the things that we love most about raising our family. It's got great arts and music and sports and all of that. And it doesn't have anywhere near the gang problem we have in LA. Mm. And man, <laughs> I know now that God put us here for a reason because In my opinion, right now, current day, present day Chicago, south side, west side of Chicago is worse than L.A. was in its height in the 80s and 90s. Wow. And, you know, I I believe we're here to do a service that needs to happen for people that are trying to change their lives and live out 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is dead and the new has come. But I'll tell you, it's it's really hard to live your life as a new creation when you're wearing the evidence of your old life all over your face and your hands and your neck. Wow. So that's really what it started with. And, you know, 2011, I'll never forget the day I went and presented this to my wife. And I said, Hey, you know, this, I think this is what God wants me to do. And she looked at me and she said, all right, where are you going to do it? And how are we going to pay for it? Wow. And I was like, well, I'm gonna set up a studio in our basement. How's that sound? She was like, <laughs> "Okay," and uh, and I said, "You know, we're probably only gonna do a couple of these a month, so I don't think it's gonna be that much of a problem financially." Well, almost nine. It'll be nine years in October. We've done over 6,400 of them for free. <laughs> so wow. wow. It's, it, it's been the coolest blessing, though, to be able to do that and meet the folks that we get to work with on a daily basis.
0: That's remarkable. All right, so just to be clear, what what is it that you do? Just paint a picture for somebody yeah. who who has no no real sense of tattoo culture or what removal or cover up even even looks like. What what is it exactly that that you do?
1: So we offer free tattoo removals or free cover ups. So basically, a removal is exactly that. We're we're using a non-laser alternative, it's a natural saline-based product, to physically pull the ink from your skin if you want to get rid of that tattoo. Hmm. Um, and it's great because it doesn't cause some of the other issues associated with laser removal, such as scarring, loss hmm. of pigmentation, um, you know, things like that. Um, and then we also do free cover ups if they prefer to do just a different tattoo over the old one to disguise what the old tattoo was and and I'll tell you honestly as an artist that's where I love to play because mm. I get to be very creative uh, a lot of the times when people come in for a cover up they say you know I just black it out I just don't want to see it anymore and mm. as an artist I want to give them something positive um productive to look at and to share their new story. uh, So they can, you know, really get it out there. What's going on in their lives um, about the the whole change, because it's not an easy decision to make that change, the decision to make that change. And then the dangers that go along with that are, are pretty lofty as well.
0: So you're sticking around for the whole hour, which I am super, super grateful for, but I want to make sure to hit the website a bunch of times so that people don't forget it. How how do you actually provide these for free? Can they go to Inc180.com and and donate or partner? How how would somebody do that?
1: Yeah, definitely. We have um, a donation link on our homepage. It's about halfway down at ink 180com I have people that do like a recurring monthly donation. You can set that up right there on the site, or you can do a one-time donation and any amount you know, is a, is a major help. It all adds up. And, you know, I, I'd rather have 500 people donate $5 than Hmm. have one person write a big fat check, but yeah, it's, we just want to share the love of Christ and, and really share how great he is and how he can turn things around for you.
0: Man, I love that. All right, so that other voice you're hearing is the founder of Inc. 180, Chris Baker, and he's sticking around for the entire hour. We're going to get a bit more into his ministry and also some of his story and how he came to faith himself, and that's all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but he's on vacation for the rest of this week and a little bit of next week. But whenever one of us is gone, we're always so thrilled to bring in these guest co hosts that are always so much more interesting and smarter than we are. And Chris Baker most certainly fits that bill. He is the founder of Inc. 180. And if you're just tuning in, by the way, go back and listen to the first segment on the podcast because. Chris, your, your story is remarkable. And I've read it multiple times and I've seen you speak places and it stirs me every time. And the fact that you're using that story really for something really beautiful that a lot of people have told me, like I never would have thought about that. What, what I would love to know about is your faith journey specifically. What, what was what was it like finding your way back to God?
1: Well, it was crazy for me because I, um, I grew up in a Catholic, Irish Catholic household. So I got dragged to church every week. But Sure, you know, I, sure. like so many kids, I just didn't pay attention. There were no kids programs that really spoke to me. So, um, I always believed in God, but man, that's where it stopped and you know, started and stopped. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know any of this stuff. So what happened was, um, my wife came to me one time and like I said, in, in segment one, I had, um, I've had a battle with mental health stuff my whole life, um, depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, and PTSD. And, um, I'm blessed to know the power of, of prayer in that and also the power of counseling. And I'm a huge proponent of people getting help that they need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I go seek seek my counselor out every week and, uh, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure. But, you know, in, in the ministry, there's a lot of hard stuff to hear, but, Basically I, what happened was my wife approached me one day and and she did it the right way. Um, uh, she came to me and said, Chris, I'm worried. Um, I think that we should go talk to somebody together.
0: Mm, mm. She didn't
1: come to me and point her finger at my chest and say, you know, you're a mess. I'm afraid of what's right. going on. I'm afraid you're going to hurt yourself. She said, we should go talk to somebody. And so I said, okay. And I was so arrogant and lost at the time that, my response was good. That counselor can tell you all the things that you're doing wrong as my wife to make me act this way. Right. I'm not proud of that, but that's just where I was. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, we went and we'd we'd asked a bunch of friends who had gone through counseling, like, Hey, where'd you guys go? Who'd you talk to? We're looking for somebody and the same name and place kept coming up in these conversations. Mm -hmm. And a woman named Joan guest, was a counselor at the Samaritan Interfaith Counseling Center in Naperville, Illinois. And it was funny because every time it came up, my wife and I would look at each other and go interfaith. That's like a church thing, man. We don't do church stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But finally after like the fifth or sixth friend recommended her we're like, well, she must be really good because man, they were really messed up and now they're doing good. So let's, let's give it a (laughs) shot, you know? And I was just, I was a mess, man. And so wow. we go in, it was a Saturday morning. I'll never forget. It was like right after the Haiti earthquake happened. Hmm. I walk in and I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt tattoos everywhere. I don't care what this woman thinks of me. Um, she walks out to get us in the lobby, and I swear, man, she looked just like the church lady from Saturday Night Live.
2: <laughs> and she,
1: we go into her, her office, and she's got cat posters up. And I'm like, oh of my course. God, man, this woman's going to annihilate me. And uh, but the, the funny thing was, we both immediately were really drawn to her, mm. and really, it, it felt like you were talking to your favorite man. Sitting there having hmm. coffee. Kind of thing. And it was just a real comfortable feeling, comfortable situation. So we liked her. We kind of laid everything out there that first session and we finished up our hour. We booked another appointment for the following week. And I was grabbing my hoodie to get ready to get up and head out. And she's like, Oh, Chris, hang on. I was like, Oh, man, here we go. Yeah, here we go. Right. Here we go. And she said, I like to offer to pray for my clients before we finish up. And I I don't say this because I'm proud of it. I I just being honest and real with where I was mentally at the time. I I looked at Lisa and then I looked at Joan. I rolled my eyes Hmm. and I said, Joan, if you think it's going to make any difference, you praying for us, then, you know, by all means, go ahead. Again, very arrogant, very self-centered. And she did. She started to pray. And I, you know, I looked at my wife and like we folded our hands and like bowed our heads and like, this is what we did at Thanksgiving, right? Like, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Joan starts to pray for us and it was unique. It was, you know, I had heard people pray my whole life, my mom, my grandma, whoever, but yeah. it was different. This was different. It was about us being open-minded and giving us the ability to look outside of ourselves and to be open to change. And it really struck me. And then as I'm sitting there with my eyes closed, with my hands full, listening to Joan pray, I had this kind of feeling take over my body. And the only way I can accurately describe it is when you take a fleece blanket out of the dryer in the winter and it's warm yeah. and soft no. and it feels good and smells good. It wow. felt like somebody was draping that over my shoulders as I was sitting there with my head bowed and my hands full listening to Joan pray. Wow. And I'm, tri- I'm tripping out, right? Like, I, I don't know right, what's going right. on, but I know exactly what's going on. Wow. <laughs> and then, you know, after that, it was like I didn't hear a voice per se, but I had this thought populate my mind and just kind of repeat over and over like a, like a slot machine. It was just follow me and this will be okay. Stop wow. running away. Follow me and this will be okay. And I lost it, man. I was, I was sobbing my eyes out. And Joan's still praying. And then I hear my wife crying, but I don't want to open my eyes because if you open your eyes, the prayer doesn't count. And, right. You know, right. <laughs> yeah. So Joan, Joan finishes the prayer and it took, it took us a good five minutes to kind of compose ourselves after that. And wow. um, I, I opened my, my eyes and I looked at my wife who was sitting right next to me and I said, oh, my God, this is what's wrong. Like, this is what's wrong with me. Like, there's a reason why I'm here. There's a reason why I'm still alive. And I've been running away from that for a long time. And I'm tired of running. Joan, can you recommend a church for me to go to tomorrow? And I said, even if they have a Saturday night, you know, there was that whole Catholic thing again, Saturday night. Right. right. (laughs) Anyway, I'll go wherever. And um, I went to church the next day. And I signed up that day to go on a 10 day mission trip to Haiti. What? Yeah, man. (laughs) It's just, you know, some people like Lisa and I joke about it. She's very much a, let me stick my toe in the water and see how this feels kind of person. Right. You're cannonballing. I'm like, let me dive off the hundred meter board. I'm going in. (laughs) And I did. I mean, I, I went from zero to 10,000 miles an hour. Very rapidly. Um, wow. And it was the craziest thing. And it's the coolest thing, too, because I can actually look back and tell you exactly when I knew Jesus was real. And wow. to me, that's a, a tremendous gift. Um, yeah. To that. I mean, and the, the things that have transpired in my life over just the last 10 years, like Hollywood couldn't write this stuff. It's Right. The, amazing you know and it's all god ink 180 all god it's not us it's we're just the lucky ones that are you know able to do this work for him we didn't think of it Mm. and uh you know being able to have a front row seat and and have a conversation and listen to people who have have lived through tragic circumstances in their lives but they have such a, a faith in christ that that's what's pulling them through it Right and re- right. recreating who they are, so it's just a, a huge blessing to be able to do this work,
0: wow, man, thank you so much for sharing your story. I appreciate that more yeah, than yeah. you know. I have no doubt people listening right now are as moved as I am what what an incredible testimony by the way and I want you said something in the middle there too. I want to ask you a little bit about coming up next because I feel like mental health for Christians in particular has been stigmatized for so long, and no one knows how to talk about it or, or really even who to go to. So I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that. But that other voice you're hearing is the founder of Ink 180, Chris Baker. You can learn more at ink180.com. And he's sticking around for two more segments here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but he is enjoying some lovely vacation with his family. But you, if you want to learn more, a couple of places you can go. The Facebook page is The Common Good Radio Show. We post articles, you can send us messages. Plus, we're podcasted wherever it is, you get podcasts. If you're just joining us live right now, by the way, I cannot encourage you enough to go back and listen to the podcast because for this whole first hour, we're joined by Chris Baker, who is the founder of Inc 180, and you can learn more. I highly recommend that you do ink180.com, and he's been telling us his pretty remarkable story, not only of how Inc 180 was born, but how he found his own way back to God, and I really appreciate it in particular, Chris. You mentioned briefly in the last segment some of your own kind of battle with mental el- mental health and mental illness, and I feel like this is something in particular that the church doesn't quite know how to talk about or what to do with it. And unfortunately, at least in my experience, has been stigmatized for a very long time. Even even the fact that you mentioned that you went to a therapist, for some people, they're like, oh goodness gracious, how oh, not a therapist. Like it's it just feels like there's some odd uh, presuppositions. And I'm wondering, could you just tell us a little bit more about your journey there?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, going to see a counselor and and you know working through my mental health issues. Is probably the healthiest thing I've ever done for for mm-hmm. myself uh, and for my marriage mm-hmm. and my you know being a father and everything. Um, I grew up. My dad was very abusive when I was a kid, mentally and verbally and physically mm-hmm. with my mom and stuff. So I grew up seeing a lot of domestic violence in my house. And you know, he was just he was not a present mm-hmm. father. I'll say that. That's mm-hmm. probably the nicest way I could say it. Yeah. But uh, I'm sorry. You know, I, I don't. I went through the whole process of forgiving him when I became a Christian and all that, but you know, going to counseling, I, it is a stigma, and I don't know why. Because, you know, I, I know I grew up in a house where my dad used to say, "Oh, you know, guys don't cry. Um, right? Counseling's for girls. You know, what are you going to do? Sit there and cry and tell them all your problems for a hundred bucks an hour and and yeah, yeah, I am." That's what I do, (laughs) and that's how that's (laughs) how I live my life. Life is hard; Um, it's it's not an easy thing. I mean, if you just take a look at the the present day, what we're dealing with right now. Right. I mean, before COVID, before George Floyd, before all these horrible things that have happened in the last few months, life was stressful as it was. Right. Right. All these all these other components into it. And shutting each other off from each other and quarantining, which of course was the right thing to do in my opinion, but it's mm-hmm. it's not how we're built. We're built to be a part of community. We're mm-hmm. built to be a group, and you know, especially we look at it as Christians all the time. We're the body of Christ. Okay, cool. Well, when the body of Christ is cut off from each other, that's that hurts.
0: Right. Right.
1: And. If you have stuff like I had, I had mountains of garbage from my, my younger life that I was Mm. just suppressing for years. And I, I'll tell you that, that feeling that day that I I mentioned in the segment before where we went and Joan prayed for us, it was, it was like, I kind of equate it to living at the bottom of a a cave, And there's just Hmm. this junk, life heaps this junk onto you into that cave and makes it harder and harder to get out of it. Yeah. But that that one day and that one prayer and so many prayers since that time have removed all that garbage that was in, it felt like my heart was encased in concrete. Wow. And I was barely functioning and I was suicidal. You know, that was one of the things that drove Lisa to approaching me about going to talk to someone together. I had no value for my life. I thought that all the stuff that my dad told me when I was a kid was true, that, you know, you're never going to amount to anything big. Just do the best you can and get through life kind of stuff. Hmm. And I I believed that for a long time and Hmm. going and having, you know, I have a great relationship with my wife and we talk all the time uh, we, and we talk about hard things a lot, mm. but it's still not the same as going to a counselor who's trained in, in trauma that can help unpack some of that stuff and yeah. help you find ways to, to um, live your life despite it. So, yeah, it, it's right. the most important thing, and you're right, churches are afraid to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of pastors who their, their church mandates them to go to counseling a number That's of right. times throughout the year, and they find ways around going to it. Yeah, and I'm right. like, why, why are we so afraid to talk about our problems? Right, because right. Um, I mean. I, I tell people all the time, like, you know, they hear me speak at their church or, or on a podcast or radio, whatever. And they're like, Oh my gosh, you're just, you're such a great guy. I'm like, you wouldn't have wanted to sit with me 10 and a half years mm. ago. I was a different person. Mm-hmm. Right. I, was, right. I, I tell people all the time, you know, they ask me about my tattoos. I have, I have 98 tattoos on my body and I love every one of them. But I tell mm. people honestly, like, look, I got, I started getting tattooed on my 18th birthday and I did that. So people would leave me alone. <laughs> it's and not just- that I was, uh, I, not that I was a bad guy or a mean guy, or I was going to attack somebody. I've never, I've been in like two fights in my whole life. And, hmm. but I, I'm, you know, six 300 pounds covered in tattoos. So my whole objective was for, for people to be walking towards me on the sidewalk, see me, cross the street and keep going again. Uh-huh. Not, not because I was going to hurt them or do anything to them, yeah. but yeah. anytime anyone got close to me in my life, they died, they ran off or they went to jail. Oh man. And just, I didn't, I, I could not stand the thought of losing any more people in my life. Yeah. And counseling still works on that today. I'm 49 years old and it, and yeah. it works great.
0: Dude, good for you, man. I, I mean, honestly, marriage counseling has been great in our marriage. And I feel like yeah. anytime we tell somebody, especially being a pastor, there people you can like see their shoulders lower, like, oh yeah. God, okay. Like you, you guys aren't perfect either, right? Like it's there's like this ownership of like, oh, we're all a little jacked up and we're all fighting yeah. our, our own battles. And and we only have like a minute or so left in this segment. But well, what I would love for you to do, could you could you just speak to the person who's listening right now? who maybe they feel like their life is spiraling out of control. Like they're, they're fighting some serious demons or they're feeling like you were saying in the bottom of a cave, would you just speak some, some hope and encouragement to that person for a second?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, first, first and foremost, you're not alone. There's a whole lot of us out here hurting and um, there's a lot of people out here that want to help. And I'm one of those people. If you're, you know, you're in a place where you don't think you can talk to somebody. You don't think you can, find someone you don't have insurance, please give me a call or email me, chris at ink 180.com. I can put you in contact with people that can help you for free. Um, mm. We're here to listen. You know, I don't just tattoo. I love to get to know people and, and mm. uh, hear their story and hear their pain. And, you know, I, mm. I can tell you that I'm far from perfect, but I get a little bit closer every day to where I want to be. And, you know, it's, a, it's a walk. It's not a one time and you're done. It's, it's something right. that we work on for a long time, but it's That's very good. worthwhile because life is truly beautiful.
0: That's so good, man. Well, that other voice you're hearing is Chris Baker, the founder of Inc180.com. You can learn more at Inc180.com and uh, he's sticking around for one more segment and we're going to hear a little bit more about his story, some other stories that maybe he's come across and the impact that his ministry has made That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, usually joined by Brian Fromm. He is sailing the open seas. No, I don't think that's what he's doing. He's on vacation with his family, though, and he will be back next week. You can learn more about us and the show on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, or wherever it is you get podcasts. Plus, you can always go to 1160hope.com slash the common good and so for this week and the beginning of next week i'm going to be joined by some very special guest hosts one hour at a time and chris let me just say before i forget like thank you so much for one taking the time and two just sharing your story so honestly like as a as a host as a pastor it's really really refreshing and inspiring and encouraging and uh, i just just wanted to say kind of publicly thank you for for taking the time to do that man um i also know oh my pleasure I also know real briefly, you have a promotion in August and another promotion in September that's coming up. Do you want to talk real briefly about that before we uh, before we get into it?
1: Yeah, definitely. So we uh, every month we try and do a promotion at the shop. We still do regular tattoo business as well as our ministry. It's about 70% ministry, 30% regular paid business. Wow. Um, so we always try to do fun things to get people into the shop to kind of see more about what we're doing. But um, for August, we're doing Bible verse references for $50. So any reference wherever, Um, nice. we'll do those for 50. And then in September we're doing, because it's suicide awareness month, we're doing semicolon tattoos for $50. And then we'll be donating those proceeds to suicide prevention services for people to get help out there.
0: No way. Okay. So people can either donate to the ministry or book an appointment at inc 180.com. Is that right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Or they can call us at six, three, zero, five, five, four, one, four, zero, four.
0: That's fantastic. Okay. And you'd mentioned way at the beginning of the hour now that the impetus, the origins of the whole thing really was to serve gang members, but it's certainly it's grown past that over the last nine years, a little bit. Hasn't it? How, How has it grown? And what are the people that you're serving?
1: Big time. So in addition to our base of, of former gang members changing their lives, we also help sex trafficking survivors we work with the FBI, Homeland Security, and the Department of Justice on that to help them remove wow. brands that were forced on them while they were being trafficked. Wow. Uh, we, al- we also help domestic violence survivors that have any kind of tattoo or scar from that time of their lives that they want to get rid of or cover up. Uh, we help people that dealt with self-harm or cutting to cover up their scars. And wow. then we're also helping young people that are going into the military because they change their... Um, their regulations on tattoos quite often. So somebody might have a, a very innocuous tattoo, but it's in a spot where it can't be seen with uniform regulations. So we help them get rid of those as well. So then go serve the country.
0: Wow, that see, and th- those are everything you just said in the last minute are things there's, I never would have thought of. Like, it's amazing that your ministry has been able to grow and expand like that to serve so many different people. I- I'm wondering, are there any stories over the last nine years that really stand out to you?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, so many, I'm actually working on a book right now to kind of retell some of these stories nice for people that have given me the ability to do so. But one in particular, uh, a young woman um, that we'll call Jennifer for the sake of this, but um, she was trafficked from Chicago to Milwaukee to Green Bay, Wisconsin on a loop for four years. Um, Long, long history of sexual abuse in the home growing up, um, drug abuse, And she was on the street at 15 and was picked up on by a trafficker. Uh, She was rescued by the FBI. She testified against her trafficker who had 17 total girls um, working based out of Chicago, um, doing street prostitution, massage parlor prostitution, strip club prostitution, you name it. Um, Very notoriously violent pimp uh, who was given life without the possibility of parole. Um, just a horrible story when I was doing one of her tattoo removals was on her back, like her shoulder blade. And she had a huge uh, scar across her spine at the base of her neck. Mm. And I had asked her what that was from. And she said that her pimp had broken a pool cue over her neck one night and she had to have mm. spinal fusion. But, you know, she tells the story is like, so matter of fact, like, you know, like how we would say we stubbed our toe kind of thing. Right. Um, but she's an incredible woman. She has two kids. Um, I can't, she lives in a, a state in the Midwest. And, you know, when you talk to people who were trafficked, a lot, I'll just sit there and listen and try to fight back tears. Cause these stories are so hard to listen to. Um, right. but I feel like I owe them that, you know, to just want to be heard. Mm. Um, And honestly, with them, I wouldn't, I would never blame a trafficking survivor for getting like a cabin in the woods and never being a part of society again. Hmm. Um, But she didn't do that. She um, she's got a home. She's working for an organization that does education to fight sex trafficking, um, to educate kids about it so they don't fall prey to it. But she was talking to me. This was a few years ago. She was you know, calling me and kind of giving me an update. And she said, yeah, there's a program here in in my state where it's called John School. So if you're if you're arrested and prosecuted for um, soliciting prostitution, you have to go through this eight week class and it talks about everything related to prostitution and sex trafficking and the whole deal to really open the eyes of these these guys mostly who were out there trying to buy sex. And I was like wow. captivated by her story. And she told me, she's like, yeah, I helped write this curriculum and it took no us the last year to do it. We got passed in the state legislature, so it's law now. And she's like, hey, I, I know you're coming up this way to do some removals for another safe house. Why don't you come by this college and we're, we're they're having a kickoff event there. It's the first class. Why don't you come sit in on it and just see what you think and give us some feedback? So I did, I walk in and it was about 10 minutes late and they had already started. I'm sitting there in this, this huge auditorium and I look down at the podium and she's the one teaching the class. No way. So not only did she survive just this horrific life for four years, she yeah. gets rescued, sends her pimp away to prison for life, helps write this curriculum for John's school and then is teaching it. And I was like, it's the most incredible God moment I've ever heard. I mean, talk about using your, your horrible story for some incredible good. Yeah. Uh, and I, That's the kind of stuff that keeps us going. You know, when yeah. when the money is tight and you know, we're not doing well financially and I'm not doing well physically and I'm tired and I'm stressed and, I remember stuff like that. And there's a lot of those stories.
0: That's remarkable, man. I I know that we only have like a, like a minute or so left, but I also know that you were recently in the hospital and had, had quite a scare. I would love to know maybe even just in general, as, as we wrap up, how can we be praying for you and your family and Inquin 180 and your ministry? Like what are, what are just some things that we can be praying for you guys about?
1: Thanks so much. Yeah, I was, I have had a last two years. I've had a, a battle with a, Bacterial infection in my left thigh, and almost it almost killed me a couple of times mm-hmm. with sepsis. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm at home, kind of recovering right now. Sophie's in the shop, still working. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, with COVID, it's been so hard. Our donations have gone way down, and right. trying to keep everything afloat until I can get back to work here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. But just really just praying for healing. I have a hole in the back of my thigh that's about the size of your fist, and It's going to take the better part of nine months to heal up. So just really for healing and, you know, the, the perseverance and ability to keep things going. And in spite of this, this craziness that just came, you know, the minute we thought it was all good and done, it came back and reared its ugly head about two weeks ago. So I'll get through it. God is good. And, you know, brought me through the worst of it last time. So I know that it bring me through this too.
0: Well, dude, just, just to say it out loud, man, you inspire me, and I know that you inspire literally thousands of other people, and I'm so grateful for your story. If you're listening right now, by the way, and you heard some of this story, I cannot encourage you enough to partner with Ink 180. You can go to ink180.com to partner or to schedule an appointment. You can also call 630-554-1404. Uh, let's rally around them and what they're doing to uh, to continue to serve people. Chris, thank you so much, man, for taking the time to join us today. Thanks, Ian. I really appreciate it. Yeah, likewise, man. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities? And Thrive and Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrivent, to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more.
2: I put my home in you. I put my trust
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but he is out gallivanting, as the kids say, on vacation with his family, but he'll be back mid-next week. And in his absence, we're being joined by a number of wonderful guest hosts. I'm really excited to introduce our next guest host in just a minute, but before I do, you can go to Facebook. That's our Facebook page, Is The Common Good Radio Show. We post our articles there. You can send us messages if you have suggestions for future shows you can also find us on instagram and twitter at common good talk and wherever it is you get your podcast if you're the podcast and type and i know some of you are subscribing rating and reviewing really really does help us out a whole ton and we're super grateful for all of you who have already done that and i'm i'm so happy i'm so excited and i think this is you're a repeat guest now aaron so this is a big deal but this is a co-founding member of the band graveyards to gardens aaron andrews welcome back to the show sir
2: Woo woo woo, thank you so much for having me. Can you hear us a studio audience just going nuts? So glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. I
0: think you did that last time you were on, if I recall correctly. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> dig, dig into the archives and see if that uh see if that was consistent. <laughs> it's tradition, you gotta do it. I'm with that. All right, so so you're with us for the whole hour, Aaron. So I would love for you to take some time in this first segment to just tell your story a little bit.
2: Hmm. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. to parents from the Caribbean. My father's from Guyana and my mom's from Jamaica. And uh, they've been pastoring a church out there uh, probably close to 25 years. Um, My dad grew up in that church since he was 14 when he moved to the States. Uh, So there's a lot of history specifically in that church, but uh, D.C. carries great meaning for me and uh, I was a kid that always loved music. I was that typical kid that was playing pots and pans. Man, I was beating up on everything, trying to build drum sets. And uh, I would force my brother and sister to uh, start bands with me. Then I get frustrated with them and kick them out the band. And uh, we're still working through that now through therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But um, no, I started my first band in high school with uh, some cousins, uh, and that was such a formative experience for me. That was the way. Uh, A safe space for us to start writing songs, albeit terrible songs. But um, we had that space to do that and uh, always loved music. And um, a few years after that, I started another band with some close friends. And we had the opportunity to start start recording our first music in a real studio. And we toured the country for three summers in a row, which was awesome. And uh, through that, I actually got to Judson University. Uh, That's where we were recording our albums really felt like the Lord was calling me there. And uh, so I transferred there in fall of 2012. And we started Grey Guards to Gardens back then, and we've been going ever since. So that's just a snapshot of my my story and how we transitioned um, from home to the band. So
0: you and I both have a a love for Judson. Uh, That was my alma mater. And it's really, I mean, I graduated in the dark ages of 2006. But Uh since then, though, I know that uh, the worship department under Warren Anderson's leadership, mm. studio, I, every time I see a photo, I'm always like, this has got to be one of the most beautiful studios in the western suburbs. What, what has sort of been the relationship between your band and Judson? Uh,
2: the Judson is kind of how we got our first opportunities, whether playing through chapel or through different opportunities to go to schools, Um, through Dr. Anderson setting us up and uh, I love Warren as well. He's kind of a father figure. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking of those studios, it's so nice. We did this renovation in our big studio, a uh, almost a year ago headed up by um, Tim May, who is the studio manager. He also plays in our band as well. And Mm -hmm. one of my closest friends. And so, um, that's just our opportunity. We had an opportunity to start cutting teeth there. The first album we ever did, the school, uh, funded and produced and distributed that. And so, um, had we had done it anywhere else, just who knows how we would, how we would have gotten started. And, uh, Justin was just such an integral part into our development and opportunity. And, uh, I, I still love that place to this day and still involved in certain ways, uh, even as an alumni now. So it's cool to be able to go back every once in a while and contribute. That's awesome, man. I
0: I, I want to ask you a question that I didn't really prep you for, so forgive me. But I'm I'm really curious what is it like being an artist and a songwriter in a cultural moment like right now? Like we keep hearing people say unprecedented, like never yeah. never in our lifetime. And and I and I read a lot of news in preparation for this show, but you're, you know, a songwriter and you've led w- worship, and you're a poet, and you're a creative, and you're a collaborative. What, what have these last four months been like for you with regards to creating?
2: It's been so interesting, because um, initially when we went into quarantine, you know, I thought I was going to pop out all these songs, and when I right, s- right. to to write down, it wasn't coming, um, but it wasn't until I kind of cleared my head and kind of just forgot about it, it was songs just started coming. Uh, So I just started writing a lot um, during that time and uh, just having that time to be by myself. I'm a professional introvert anyway, Mm -hmm. Um, but having that space to really kind of focus in and like really dig into some vulnerable parts of me uh, and getting that on paper. I'm still a pen to paper kind of a songwriter and um, I'm the type of person, if I write something and it hits me in the gut, I have to commit to that lyric right? um, because I, I know it's so deep um, so it was great to have that space because no one was really going anywhere and to have that time. But there was something about that isolation that really forced me to really examine myself and really dig deep as much as I possibly could.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And, and what, what has been your experience with the church, like maybe big C church or the local church mm-hmm. as you're navigating? I mean, again, I work in a church, so I'm, I'm always interested in this question because how churches are, are dealing with, What seemed to be like ever changing realities is so diverse and so interesting to me how different people are leading and strategizing and developing or dreaming. What's been kind of your experience in that department?
2: Wow. I think if churches and everyone included, I think we realize there's no easy way of walking through this COVID season. Um, but one thing I've been saying, and one thing I've been keeping encouraged about, and I, I'm trying to share this with others uh, what an opportunity for the church to actually be the church, than right now. Yeah, right. Um, I think during this season, because COVID has had no bias, it's taken no prisoners, and I think we're all finding ourselves in this position of empathy. I, across the world, I don't think we've all collectively had before.
1: Mm. And
2: so I hope the church is paying attention to see the opportunity just to be the church and Jesus to people. And I know for me personally, and for us as a band, we've been having these discussions on what that could potentially look like moving forward. And um, I think the best way for us to do that is just to continue to engage in songs that tell stories and songs that uh, speak truth and, trying to make connections with people because I think people need to hear um, truth and hope now more than ever.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
2: And we'll, we'll get into this more
0: later in the show, but you're working on a new record, I understand, right?
2: Yeah, we're in the early phases of writing and demoing. And um, we've actually had the idea for this record as we were writing the last record at home. I think that's around the time we were on the show last and it's we're kind of the band that likes to go away and live through whatever season of life that God has us in and it, whatever we're going through just comes through in our art and in our writing. And uh, so we've been in the midst of that for the last couple of years. and yeah, we're really excited with the songs that we've been writing and just some of the flavor we've been kicking around musically and uh, it's a really awesome direction we're heading in.
0: That's awesome. man I've actually uh, I've been talking to you a little bit about that and I personally am super excited about this next project and some of the stuff you are telling about it. And that other voice you're hearing, by the way, is not Brian Fromm. It is Aaron Andries, co-founding member of Graveyards to Gardens, and he's going to stick around for the rest of the hour talking about music and worship leading and culture and so much of what's happening in our world right now. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
2: You knew me before I was You saw my sin, but still you gave your love you feel
0: he hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, normally joined by Vine Prom. If you've seen him, uh, we'd love to know where he's at. We're just kidding. He's on vacation with his family. He, uh, he'll be back mid next week. A couple of things before we dive back into our interview, though. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160Hope.com slash The Common Good, Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is you get podcasts. If you wouldn't mind, subscribing rating and reviewing really does help us out a whole ton and we're so grateful for all of you who've done that already and we have Aaron Andrews who cards on the table is also a friend of mine but he's a co-founding member of a, a wonderful band called graveyards to gardens and you've been sharing a little bit with me personally Aaron how you feel like this next record that you're working on might be a little different from previous stuff that you've written tell us a little bit more about that
2: yeah just first musically we're taking some chances a little bit, which we're really excited about. Um, In some ways, we kind of started off as an indie rock group, and um, we just felt like now's the time to dive back into that. We we wanted to earn everything that we do. And so we just feel like this is the season to do that. And uh, we also wanted to go deeper lyrically. Um, I think all of our songs previously has just been grown from story and experience, but we wanted to take that to another level um so we're we're getting a little personal in ways that we haven't been before with our music and um we're just trying new stuff out it's like why not we're independent groups so we don't have to worry about labels and managers you know breathing down our backs for what they think we should be right so since we have that freedom to do that um uh, we just want to honor ourselves we want to honor the people that have been listening and growing with our music as well uh we want to continue to stretch ourselves and the people that have been following us. And uh, we feel like this is the season to do it. So, so
0: in your opinion, how, how critical, how important is vulnerability in songwriting?
2: Hmm. I, I think it's so critical, at least for us. Um, we, we, we take a lot of pride in trying our best to engage in our stories and trying to be as honest with ourselves as yeah. we possibly can. Hmm. Um, and we try to be that open with ourselves as a group also, And chances are, if we've been through something, somebody else has been through it or they're going through it too. And, um, if it can bring any sort of healing or understanding to somebody, or even just for people who've walked through those same things to kind of look back and say, wow, I can't believe that I I made it through those situations. It's almost a responsibility in a way for us to do that as best as we can and, uh, kind of pull back the curtain to our personal lives. And, Hmm. um, It's healing for us, too, when we're that vulnerable, just to be that honest. You know, you hear a lot of times people say, yeah, songwriting is therapy. But uh, I think there's something powerful when you take pen to paper and start scripting out um, different things you've been fearful of. um, Your different anxieties or uh, a breakup or even victories, things like that. I think uh, when you can write that out and visualize that it's healing for the artist as well.
0: And I've heard a lot of people say that actually, how vulnerability, transparency, like sort of, sort of pouring your heart out a little bit via the writing process. I hear that from a lot of artists and yet it still feels like there's a major hurdle for a lot of writers, a lot of artists to actually go there. Like either because it's stigmatized or they, they don't have the tools yet to know how to do that. Like, why do you, why do you think vulnerability in songwriting and maybe particularly in the Christian market is is so rare
2: because uh, it's scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think specifically with the Christian market, um, they do a, a, a great job of trying to provide hope for people. Uh, I think there's also hope, though, and vulnerability. Mm. Um, I think a lot of times when you have certain restrictions, it's not as easy as easy to get into those deep depths of the things that we're going through and the things that we're wrestling with. And, um, since it's so scary to do, I think it's almost that fearfulness for me as a songwriter that makes me have to write it down on paper and say, okay, this is a song.
0: Right. Uh, right. Cause
2: it's good for me to get that out to the, into the world into the atmosphere. Um, but I have to believe that it's good for people to hear that as well and be like, wow, he's going through this, I'm going through the same thing or man, I went through that same thing. I'm praying for this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I th- I think as much as we can with what we're given to be as open, as honest as we can, I think, I think we should try.
0: So what do you, what do you think is like the, the current state of music and worship and singing uh, at the local church level? Like what, what assessment would you give that?
2: Hmm. Well, I think one of the coolest things about uh church music right now is that there's just so much right um i know uh when i was serving at my church um we were singing hymns we were singing hill song we were singing sovereign grace there's just so much uh to pull from i think uh sometimes in other churches it's there's this need to sing the latest and greatest and there's value in that too um but i think when you can have as much of a diversity and it, of course it depends on the congregation Uh, But when you have a a breadth of knowledge of music, I think that makes for a healthier diet for your people that are sitting in those pews. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I try to do as a worship leader uh, because that speaks to my soul and that feeds me as well. And so I have to trust that that's doing the same thing for my congregation.
0: That's good. I I can't I can't remember whether or not you borrowed that phrase from Warren Anderson, but I, I feel like he's the one who talks a lot about. The the diet of the congregation, and I I think that phrase is is so helpful. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what a healthy like Sunday morning diet could or possibly should look like? Obviously, we're in a, an all digital reality right now, so it's a little different than it normally has been. But what what do you mean when you talk about a a diet uh, as it pertains to a congregation?
2: Well, you have to think about your church, at least for 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 my church in our context we have people from many different age groups. So there's people who grew up singing exclusively hymns. Um, there's people who grew up in churches that special music was such a huge thing in their church experience. And that was a very valuable part for their church experience. Uh, I grew up on groups like delirious and like early Matt Redman and Chris Tomlin and things like that. And, um, so I, for a healthy diet, I think, um, there's so much to say within the vastness of Christian music. And so I think it's honoring to people who have walked as songwriters before us to continue to share those songs and that legacy Hmm. because it feeds different people in the congregation. And even if you didn't grow up singing that song um, in the words and in the music, you can still find something meaningful. I know we have several youth and young adults that have served on our worship team. And we sing hymns that they probably would have never heard of otherwise had we just stuck with the latest and greatest every week. Right. But we sing that too. And actually, we had uh, one of our pianists, she was uh, talking with her daughter. She's like, hey, mom, uh, what is your um, favorite worship song right now? And she said, oh, praise the name from Hillsong uh, Worship. And wow. she grew up in a Lutheran background singing a lot of hymns. Mm. And so it's interesting to see how these different songs from these different genres and eras are different ministering to different people throughout our congregation.
0: Hmm. So why do you think that's so rare then? Because like I imagine people hearing you describe that are thinking, that sounds beautiful that you're drawing from multiple eras and multiple traditions. And that like, it seems like that would be obvious that that makes for a rich experience. But why, why do you think that kind of diversity in singing is so rare?
2: Honestly, and I don't want to condemn anybody, but I think, and this is just human nature. We tend to go to the things that we're familiar with and the things that tend to make us comfortable. And so if you grew up singing hymns your whole life, then there's a comfort in continuing to sing hymns. Or if you grew up in a church that sang Elevation Worship all the time, um, then you're comfortable with singing that as well. Uh, But I would encourage people to sit and listen for songwriters like Bob Coughlin and, Mm. um city of light it's kind of a newer worship group now there's just so much to consume with worship music and honestly just music in general uh it's literally it's on your f- phone just waiting for us to uh consume and be ministered by that's so good man
0: well that other voice you're hearing is aaron Andrews, co-founding member of the band graveyards to gardens and he's gonna stick around for the rest of the hour two more segments here on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins. normally joined by Brian Fromm. He is on vacation. We miss him dearly, but he'll be back mid next week. But in his absence, we have a whole slew, a smattering, a smorgasbord, if you will, uh, (coughs) of wonderful guest hosts who are joining us for an hour at a time. And uh, I'm so excited to have for the rest of this hour, Aaron Andrews, co-founding member of the band Graveyards to Gardens. By the way, go learn more about them. You can go to Facebook.com slash Graveyards to Gardens. You can email them at graveyards to gardens at gmail.com. They're also on the gram, as the kids probably don't say. And uh no, they say it. Do they say the gram? Is that was that accurate?
2: Well, I say it, so I just hope that means that they say it as well.
0: <laughs> well, and we've had a wonderful discussion not only about songwriting and creativity and worship and music in the church. But Aaron, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about something that you actually mentioned the last time you were on the show, back when we could, you know, be in person, you and Jeremy were in the studio, and you were playing some songs for us live there. And you made a comment somewhere between the set, and you said something to the effect of, "It's been interesting growing up because for some people, I'm I'm just not black enough for their particular tastes, or so, something like that." Can you, could you unpack some of that that racial dynamic that you've experienced in your own story?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny. I've growing up, I've always kind of felt like a unicorn. That in terms of being rare, but more so, never really finding my people or a mm. place where I belonged mm. uh, outside of my family, of course. And um, I remember growing up, it's it's just at that time it was just weird for black kids to play the guitar, specifically electric guitar, for some mm-hmm. reason. And mm. I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Jimi Hendrix, Buddy Guy, right. King—I can list off, right. you know, a ton of african-american men that have pioneered guitar in a lot of ways and um so it was it was always tough for me in certain spaces to kind of find my footing and fortunately i had good friends and family but just in other spaces i think jeremy and i have felt that in terms of uh, the music industry uh jeremy is asian-american and i'm black american and um it, it was it was tough to sign into an industry w- where you never saw yourself represented hmm. Um, because typically if you're black, that means you're a gospel artist. Hmm. And if you see a black person or an Asian per- person in the CCM industry, uh, typically they're not writing the songs or in the front of the stage. Usually they're in the band somewhere or behind the scenes. And so hmm. it, it was it was really difficult for us to want to make that decision to move and join an industry where we weren't sure if we would, we would have been welcomed. Hmm. And, it's really awkward saying that when we're all supposed to be singing about Jesus and loving Jesus. And um, so we just didn't see um, at that time to take the value in doing that. So we just decided to find the value in ourselves and the value in our art and hmm. what we believe God says we are.
0: Wow. And, and what has the last few months been like for you specifically? And I know that you shared a little bit that, I mean, navigating, all the unrest that we're seeing. And I, I imagine, like, do you feel pressure from some people? Like, well, well, Aaron's got to weigh in on this. or we, we really want to hear his response to what we're seeing in the news or what's happening in the world. Like what, what has it been like navigating the last few months?
2: Yeah, I actually, I've felt some of that weight to say something and I, I wrestled with making a statement. Um, but I, I honestly couldn't. And here's why Ian, um, I was just in a state of mourning Mm. and so I had to get off social media when I started to feel that pressure because honestly with my morning the last thing I wanted to do was hop on my phone on a social media app app and just just say anything I just I didn't want to I didn't want to talk about it and it just took me a while to get to a point where I felt comfortable enough to talk about it right and um just for myself and my experience um like I've had experiences with the police where I've been harassed and held up for no reason at all. And uh, I've had friends who have shared the same experience and friends who've had a gun pulled on them for no reason. And um, so when people say things like Black Lives Matter, I believe that wholeheartedly. Mm. I'm actually really proud of my hometown, just down the street from my house, literally down the street from my house Mm. um, in DC, the bright yellow painted Black Lives Matter on the street. And um, it it makes me proud to be from D.C. when I see that. Hmm. And uh, it makes me proud to feel like I'm seen in a way where oftentimes I don't feel like I'm seen.
0: Hmm.
2: Wow. So um, it's, it was just really encouraging to see that.
0: So what, what would you say, and this is a question that I, I've asked a number of people over the last three months, because some of the general, I don't know that I would say pushback, but response often has been, especially to pastors and church people, uh, when talking about issues of race and racism or racial reconciliation or equality or any of that, people will often say, just preach the gospel. Like you're, you're supposed to just be preaching the gospel, Pastor. Why, why are you talking about race and injustice and inequality? What, what would you say to someone like that?
2: Well, I'd say to them, well, that is the gospel.
0: Hmm.
2: Um, when Jesus was here, his, his ministry was with the marginalized. Um, Fishermen was a occupation that was looked down upon same as tax collectors and prostitutes. And uh, when people are saying, Hey, preach the gospel, I would say I am preaching the gospel. Mm. And uh, I think when we try to limit the gospel, I think we're doing it a disservice because I believe that the God that we serve and the message that he sends has an answer for everything we're experiencing in life. Sometimes that answer is not always clear. But Mm. I believe he's provided us the resources to be able to engage in these conversations. And the church more than anyone, I think needs to be on the front lines of this discussion. Um, Actually I'm a little proud of my dad. He's had a couple conversations on um, my home denominational level and just our response to um, people of color and minorities and specifically addressing uh, black lives matter. And so as a son, it's just, I'm, I'm proud just to see my dad representing Mm. Um, for such an important topic.
0: So tell me, tell me more a little bit about a, a phrase you said just a second ago that we, we sometimes narrow the gospel or we limit the gospel. What, what exactly do you mean by by that? How, how are the ways that you sometimes see or experience a, a narrowing of the gospel? What, what would it look like to expand that more fully?
2: I think a lot of times when we think of the gospel, I think people might have a specific message in mind on what that is. And I think where it gets a little fringed in areas we might not think it uh, speaks to, mm. I think people get a little nervous around that um, specifically with black lives matter. I know for some people, there's a lot that's tied in into the meaning of that phrase. Right. Um, but I think the black lives matter at the core the message is the message of uh, hope and equality for people. Mm. And, for for over four hundred years in this country it's black lives matter hasn't hasn't mattered the same as everybody else and i think if if we're calling ourselves sons and daughters of God and he sees us all the same as his children um then we have to represent that here on earth as well hmm. um, and I think that's what Jesus came back for it was that salvation that we could all be in fellowship with him and I think we as humans here, if we're talking about stewardship, I think we need to steward these things well as also. Hmm.
0: That's good, man. That other voice you're hearing, by the way, is Aaron Andrews, co-founding member of the band Graveyards to Gardens. I cannot encourage you enough, go to Facebook.com slash graveyards to gardens. You can email them at graveyards to gardens at gmail.com. They're working on a new record, and Aaron's gonna stick around. For just one more segment, we're going to talk about that record a little bit, talk about creativity and some of what he's listening to right now. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the Common Good. We're on the home stretch, the final segment. Before that, though, briefly, you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, 1160 slash the Common Good. And we are also podcasted. If you're listening live on the radio right now, I cannot encourage you enough to go back and listen to the podcast of today. Two really wonderful, powerful guests. Aaron, I'm so grateful, just to say it out loud, by the way, for you and your heart and your ministry, man. You're a legitimate friend and someone that uh, I respect a whole ton. And I'm, I'm grateful to count you among friends, man. Um, You're also in a wonderful band and I, I've loved you guys for a long time. Graveyards to gardens. You can Google it, but it's also Instagram and Facebook and you can email them. Graveyards to gardens at gmail.com. Before we get into some more of the music stuff, I'd love to know, do you guys have any, uh, any events or anything coming up kind of around the corner that you want to tell people about?
2: Yeah, so um in terms of events we don't really have anything this year covid kind of spoiled all that. And, yeah, right. Um, we're just trying to take it safe, I know specifically with my my health. I just want to be smart just with, you know, my own health, but mm-hmm. um we have these things that we do from time to time called TBT with G2G. so it's throwback back Thursdays with Great Vesage Garden we'll do like a cover or a mashup of one of our favorite songs from growing up. Um We've done a couple, so we have a few of those coming up on the way. Uh, I'm personally working on a really nerdy podcast right now. It's an early development. Um, I'm doing a, a deep dive into CCM and gospel music. and Nice. I, I, it's, it's all Christian music, so I want to be able to marry those two things together and kind of one platform and doing deep dive into some Uh, favorite album so I'm talking Amy Grant I'm talking BB and C.C. Winans Uh, we're going to get really nerdy so I'm really excited about that.
0: Do you you have a name for that podcast yet?
2: Yes I can uh, yes it's called Details with Aaron Andrees.
0: Oh nice okay just spell that out for people so people can find it when it's live
2: yeah Details uh, D-E-T-A-I-L-S I I forgot to spell for a second (laughs) Uh, and then with Aaron Andries, That's my name A-A, Ron, Depending on who you are My last name Andres A-N-D-R-I-E-S, A-N-D-R-I-E-S. Uh, There's no date for that Just yet Still in early development But that should be Coming down the pike here uh, Anytime soon now
0: That's awesome And in light of that I would love I don't know that I've ever Really asked you this question Like who are some of the artists Maybe specifically the records That have like most shaped you And, and brought you to where You're at today
2: Oh my goodness. It's just, it's so vast. It's (laughs) anywhere from Stevie Wonder to Michael W. Smith, you know. Nice. Um, Nice. I'm from D.C., so uh, go-go music is a huge part of how we grew up. Um, Also, being from a Caribbean household, we listened to a lot of reggae and dancehall music, and uh, Freddie McGregor is probably one of my favorite reggae artists, and of course Bob Marley, and um, so many others, and uh, we grew up in just a really great city for great radio. So we had a great uh, CCM station where we heard Stephen Curtis Chapman and Chris Rice and Rich Mullins. And we had a great gospel station where we heard uh, Israel Houghton, mm-hmm. Alonda Adams, and uh, Byron Cage. and just so many others. And uh, there's just it's, it's too many influences to count, honestly. It's kind <laughs> of unfair. That's amazing. What What are you listening to, like, right now? Um so one of my new favorite bands, I, I've really enjoyed them for a while, For a while. Um, but it's a group called the New Respects. Hmm. Um, they're based out of Nashville. They're actually a family. There's uh, two sisters who are twins and their younger brother who plays drums, and their cousin's actually leading the band, and they're kind of a rock, soulful kind of a group and really digging their stuff a lot. Um there's an R&B singer. She's over from Europe that I really like right now. Her name is Snow Allegra. Really digging her stuff. Nice. Um, I'm really looking forward to Lepre's new album. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been a hero of mine for so long, and I, I just I love the way he he moves in a lot of situations. And he uh, has an album that's coming out pretty soon here, and um, so that's kind of what I'm listening to right now. That's awesome.
0: Well, and just uh, so people are aware, I don't think I said it yet this hour, but uh, the rejoin music for this hour with Aaron, those are all some, some clips from the band. So if uh, if you like what you heard, I cannot encourage you enough, go hunt them down. And uh, I think this new record is going to be phenomenal. Can you tell me a little bit more about what some of your hopes for this new record are?
2: Yeah. Um, we're really excited about these new songs. I think our hope Um, With the new record, hopefully it can get us into spaces we haven't been before, just Mm. to bring um, our message and who we are, because I I believe that God has given us something very special and very unique. Um, And it feels just very timely um, as we continue to walk through this weird COVID season and um, as we continue to think of things like Black Lives Matter as well. Um, So we just want to be able to steward the music that we've been given well and now it just feels like the best opportunity to do that more so than ever before. Yeah. Right. Um, we are spending a lot of time investing into the writing and the demoing right now. We're, we're almost done with the writing um, and we're getting, we're halfway done with the demoing process. And so our hope is to have a new album for you guys sometime next year. Oh, nice.
0: I, I uh, I'd be really curious to know, maybe you have to factor in Jeremy in this one. If, uh, if you could play with any artist from like the history of the world, who, who would it be? Is there somebody that like the two of you both are like, oh, man, if this opportunity ever came across our table, this like our minds would melt.
2: Yes, I, I'm going to step out in faith with my brother, Jeremy, even though he's not here. <laughs> um, there's uh, a festival by the band Switchfoot um, and we, we did Switchfoot a lot. And they do this festival in San Diego called Bro-Am, and they actually did it virtually this, where, this year, and I attended for that. And they did it with some of our favorite bands, The New, the new Respects that I just mentioned. Um, Calling Houses, House is a band that we adore uh, collectively. Um, so it, it's somewhat of a dream of mine, hopefully Jeremy, if I'm speaking for him and for Tim <laughs> in some ways, uh, to be able to play that show. They do it right on the beach. Um, the ticket sales from that festival goes directly into the community of san diego specifically for the youth for different organizations in that area which is something we could definitely get behind and supporting that um so that's kind of a dream uh we're also huge mute math people is not really doing their thing right now Mm -hmm. um but if they were to ever do like a reunion show or tour uh that would be awesome for us to be on that bill as well because we just love the heck out of their music that's amazing man
0: all right so so we're down to like the final minute or so but uh because i know that you've you've walked in these shoes for a while but i know that you also really have a heart for other artists what would could you just give like a word of encouragement to someone who either they're a songwriter but they're feeling really real discouraged right now kind of upside down or they want to be a a creative they want to be a songwriter but they've not yet quite taken the plunge could you just Mm -hmm. speak a little bit of hope or encouragement to them
2: Yeah, don't feel limited by the resources that you have. The great thing with technology, um, there's there's ways to make it happen. It might not be um, the state of the art sort of a situation, um, but you have a voice and you have gifts and talents that God's given you and uh, he's given you these songs and I think you owe it to yourself and I think you owe it to the world to find a way to get those songs out there. Mm. Um, It can be very daunting up front to figure out how to be an artist. Um, This is kind of cliche, but it's true. The only way to do it is to do it. And I'm -hmm. I'm preaching to myself on that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and don't be afraid, to just be you. If it feels weird or awkward and not what you haven't heard before, that's okay. Um, There was no one like Stevie Wonder before Stevie Wonder, and he's one of the greatest artists of all times. So just find a way to tap into how special you are and just display it for the world to see.
0: That's a good word, my man. Thank you so much. That is Aaron Andries from Graveyards to Gardens. You can learn more on Instagram or Facebook. You can also email them at graveyards to gardens at gmail.com. Aaron, brother, thank you so much, man, for taking the time to be with us today
2: always a pleasure pleasure i love you guys and thanks again for having us it was just so great being here today
0: likewise man the feeling is definitely mutual and we hope that you'll join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m right here on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today.